On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, a.k.a. Menas, and joining me for this edition of the podcast, I have News Corp's chief cricket writer, who's just back from Canada, Ben Horn. Ben, welcome. How was Canada? Very good, Menas. Yeah, never thought I would uh, be covering cricket in Canada, but it was it was a great experience. Good. We're going to hear all about it later in the show. And the other panellist joining us, and someone that I didn't introduce properly last time, is Joe Barton, who's come across from Fox Sports. He was their leading cricket writer last summer, and he's come across to the Daily Telegraph to sort of do all sports. But you're an absolute cricket tragic and a little bit of an expert. Yeah, just a little bit. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take a little bit of an expert, just just a slice, a sliver. Yeah, how, how's uh, how are you finding, you know, Joey, the the World Cup campaign for England as well? Well, I mean, you've been to Canada. I've been some. I've been to some dark places in the past <laughs> couple of a couple of weeks, just because of my sleep patterns being all over the shop. But mate, the World Cup's been fantastic. Thanks for asking. Didn't you used to play? Uh, Joe Barton. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's actually a bit of a misunderstanding. Oh, that right. One. Um, you're, not, you're not that Joe Barton. No, no, oh, okay. I'm, I'm not leave? the one who breaks ankles and, and knees and I do cop some of his abuse on Twitter though, which is which is always enjoyable waking up at waking up at six in the morning to, to many people calling you foul uh, foul words, which really I think you can only get away with in Scotland. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. This World Cup is not working out well for me. The last football World Cup I was like anyone but Germany and they won. This World Cup I was like if anyone can win as long as it's not the English and they're in the semi finals and looking pretty good. So I'm getting a bit nervous. That's a great omen for uh, for the the Poms, and I'm 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 well behind the um the England bandwagon. I'm I'm on it. I'm, I'm football's coming home. That's that's me right now. Man, as oh, I saw God. an interesting article on you recently, um, you know, on in the food sphere, and yes. you have Hungarian background. That's correct. Yes, was Hungary in the World Cup? How's how's their cricket and soccer? going. Well, as you know, they've been made a full international T20 side now, Hungary, so mm. I'm actually thinking of making a comeback. Right. My off-spinning, uh, my nude balls might get some play in the Hungarian national team. Their football side is very good, though. I think they missed out on qualification, but not by much. You might remember. They're Australia. almost as good as the soccer is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're actually going to talk about cricket in this show. We're going to wrap up the T20 series between Australia, Pakistan and Zimbabwe. No Hungary in that series yet and then we're going to discuss the week in cricket headlines and then we're going to bring this show home with the commentary critique segment some breaking news with channel 7's commentary team just before we went to air so we're going to sort of assess the fox and the channel 7 commentary crews but let's start with the zimbabwe t20 series 
Australia lost the final to Pakistan. Uh, they played five matches in Zimbabwe. They won three and lost two. Uh, unfortunately, though, they lost two out of three to Pakistan, which not a great look. But I liked the tournament, a week of sort of intense T20 cricket. I think it's a good model going forward. It's a good way to uh, yeah to, to have more relevant T20 cricket. I think at least you're making it a mini tournament rather than just two teams playing a couple of random games against each other. So it would have been a good tournament for Australia to win. I mean, you know, it's probably not the biggest deal that they haven't, but under the new coach, it would have been a chance to get a bit of confidence and, um, you know, something to build on. That hasn't happened. So um, they're still very much uh, in in a searching phase, trying to find the players that uh, can carry them through what's going to be a pretty difficult 12 months. Absolutely. And Australia made 183 for eight in the final, and they were looking like they were going to score over 200. And it, it sort of showed to me that, a good or a bad couple of overs in a T20 game can really swing a game. You know, if Australia had finished well and got over 200, it would have been a, a lot harder chase for Pakistan. And, and that's kind of what I think they were looking for from, from Darcy Short when they brought him in um, at the start of the summer uh, last last year. They, they really wanted a guy who could be that explosive um, opener at the top of the order. And, he's, and we miss he's, Chris Lynn as well in yeah, the order. Yeah, well, a bit of insanity and... and Linsanity and Darcy Short, they're the, the two guys we brought in to, to really kind of ram home that um, that top of the order advantage. Then you have Maxi coming in at four. big bash stuff. Yeah, but you look you look at the strike rates from from this tournament. The only uh, bloke with a strike rate over 140 was was Aaron Finch, and that's that's not. Has good the statistician, statistician Mate, handed? I've you come this. I've come with stats today. I'm loaded with stats. Excellent. But yeah, if if you've only got one bloke um, with a strike rate of over 140, that's not going to be Absolutely. that's not going to be and, strong enough. And Justin Langer was saying about Darcy Short that he needs to be more fearless when he plays international cricket, and we we saw a bit in the final where Short made 76 of 53. He showed a bit more of that fearlessness, but in the end, he got out just before he he was really looking like taking toll of the Pakistan attack. You just got to have a crack because Australia typically loads these teams with big hitting all-rounders and we like to think that we can bat to seven, eight, nine. So there's no point if you're just holding your wicket if you're just knocking it around at 100, a strike rate of 100, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm. We saw Short when he was batting with Finch when he made that big 170. He just was going at a run of ball. It was like two different games going on out there. So Australia made 183 for eight. Glenn Maxwell opened the bowling for Australia and took Love two it. wickets in his first over. You know, we don't see him bowling that much for Australia anymore. So two big wickets in the first over. But then Fakha Zaman scored 91 <laughs> off 46 and dominated the Australian attack. And Pakistan won with four balls to spare. And Justin Langer pointed to the fact that Australia are conceding too many big overs. Like when they really go, it's over 10 and it's just hard to come back from that. Um, and I think someone like Andrew Ty has been found out at international level. I think... The way that Australia's coaching staff will be looking at things at the moment is they'll look at the bowling and I think be reassured by the fact that the three best bowlers in the country aren't available at the moment. But when you look at the batting, the problem is like, where are the answers? I mean, where, where are the answers coming from if not Darcy Short and Marcus Stoinis and these kind of guys? So, look, I mean, it's probably no secret, but the, the top six, top seven batting in the short formats and test cricket for that matter is... That's the headache, and I don't know what the answer is. So I'm not sure whether there's anyone who's absolutely knocking the door down to, to come in. So they're going to have to make some pretty choice decisions, you know, backing talent and backing, um, you know, what they... Attitude. Langer's a big attitude. Yeah, man, isn't and, and just, yeah, potential, I guess. So 
it's going to be hard. They're, they're running out of time before these big tournaments, but at the same time, I think they're going to have to pick and stick a little bit because you can't have different guys coming in and out every time they play. I'd, I'd no. like to throw a little bit of support behind Andrew Ty, who I think even in a full-strength Australian team, I think he has a role just because of the difference factor that he brings. Um, we've seen in the IPL where he's such an effective death bowler. His, his change-ups and his variety... Uh, is definitely something which offers something different to, say, Mitchell Stark, who would obviously be in Australia's first-choice team, or even Pat Cummins. They're, they're different styles of bowlers. I think when you've got guys like Richardson, Stoinis, who are... I mean, Richardson's a bit skiddy, but... Jai Richardson? Uh, yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's a bit skiddy, he's a bit quicker, but really they don't offer as much variety, and that makes the Australian attack very same-same, kind of gun-barrel-straight-type type, um, bowling. And I think that's where... AJ Ty, even even though he has that variety, I think he can get kind of bogged down by the guys around him. And if you throw if you throw Mitchell Stark and and Pat Cummins into the mix, I think he brings something different to the table. Mm. I'd still have him in. So what you're saying is, when he's next to different bowlers, yeah, he's going to be a change up. I, well, yeah, the variety. If, if batsmen, if batsmen you know, are they're facing 150, yeah. and then this guy comes on bowling knuckleballs, it's no, going to be harder to I face. I think I think he can be more effective in in a full strength Australian well, I team. I think with Ty is when he looks good, he's really good. In, and when it when it's right, and I think on the slower wickets where the ball doesn't come on, like on the subcontinent, but he's slower variety, grip a bit more in the wicket. But we've seen in the the England tour mm. and this T20 series. Is when international quality batsmen really try and get after him. On flat it can go pretty England. ugly. Come on. Yeah, I know. Look, it's not an indictment. I really like Ty, but yeah. I just think he's he's sort of in that bracket now. Do you remember someone like Adam Dale? God, there's a he was sort of about the same speed and used to have good days, but when it went wrong, he could absolutely get hammered. Billy Stanlake's been a bit of a positive, oh, I think. Big time. Um, Finch and Stanlake mm. have really done well out of the two tours. Mm. So yeah, I think you know Stanlake's the kind of guy that. If they can get the rest of the players around, you know, he could have a real future as a, you know, match-winning player. He went the journey a couple of times, though. I think there was this attitude by the batsman, well, we better just get after him. Mm. And, and it seemed to come off a few times. Mm. There was a couple of things out of that final that are interesting. Firstly, poor Farhan on debut for Pakistan made history by being the fifth player out on debut for a diamond duck without facing a ball. But to make it even worse... He didn't face the ball from the striker's end, so he, he got stumped off a wide. So <laughs> that was his debut in international cricket. Absolutely astonishing. And the stumping was comical. It was something I would have done when I was playing. He walked out of his crease, and then he, he thought he'd step back in the crease, but he was still outside the crease. So crazy that's a, stuff. That's a maxi special. That's how he gets all his wickets. That's a manners special. I used to do that stuff all the time. And the last one from the final was Glenn Maxwell appeared to snub the Pakistan captain's handshake, and it was caught on Fox Sports. That, and and afterwards, um, Maxwell issued sort of an apology on Twitter, like he sort of didn't deny it, but he did. He said it was an oversight, must have looked bad. I mean, if you look at the footage, it it looks like he's snubbing his handshake, which. In the context of what's been happening with Australian cricket and our effort to sort of lift our image and Payne's getting the teams to handshake before the series in, in England and then before in South Africa, you would think you just, even if you're annoyed at someone, just shake his hand and move on. Yeah, Maxi finished his um, finished his apology on, on Instagram by, by saying he was tra- trying to track um, Safraz down for, for the handshake. So he's walking all over Harare looking for, looking for the Pakistani skipper. <laughs> yeah, it would have been easy just to do it on the pitch when he stuck his hand out. Maxi never does things the easy way. <laughs> no, well, I'm starting to see that. 
So that was some stuff out of the final. Uh, Langer spoke after the series that, you know, this team really has to find a leader, and he indicated that Finch has put his best foot forward. And look, since the last podcast, Finch has made 172 of 76 balls with 10 sixes and a world record T20 score. Phenomenal innings by Aaron Finch. He broke his own record. Unfortunately, he could have got the all-time T20 record, but he smashed his own stumps out of the ground playing a back cut. So Chris Galster has the highest ever T20 score. But, you know, you spoke about Stan Lake. Well, Finch is someone that has really increased his credentials over the past two tours. Yeah, he has. Yeah, I mean, I've got to admit, I've probably... um not underrated, but I think there was a period over the last year or two where it looked like Aaron Finch was going to get phased out of the team. And I, th- I certainly think the way that the Australian selectors have used him over the last couple of years indicates that they were sort of looking to do that. But to his credit, he has just continued to stand up and you can't you can't drop him. And I, you know, I think it was a mistake to probably try him down the middle of the order. Like I think with Dave Warner and Steve Smith not there, in the T twenty four, sorry, in the short format, um, white ball formats, he just needs to be backed in and almost build the team around him. So, yeah, I think he's proved a lot of people wrong over the last couple of years, and I think there's there's concerns about him being the captain. But who else do you who else do you pick? I mean, yeah, Tim Payne, as we spoke about on this podcast before the series started, you know, his future as the one day captain was always going to be predicated on how he actually played because Alex Carey's coming through and you, you know you have to you have to you have to pick your strongest team so i think um possibly that decision's going to going to be made um and and what are the other options i mean Mitchell Marsh maybe but he hasn't played and mm. um you know how much cricket's he going to play before the world cup next year so Aaron Finch stands out and you know he's in many ways he's he's been Mr reliable and Mr constant over the last few years and he seems like he's in a good place just around the traps when you sort of see him a lot around the big bash he just seems like the type of guy that's ready to make the transition into a more senior uh, leadership role within the Australian team last question before we leave this uh, T20 wrap Ben Horn Australian White ball cricket, in my opinion, needs a better spinner, needs a leg spinner or someone to take wickets in the middle overs, not just in T20 cricket, but in 50 over cricket. Uh, Do you think that Zampa or Swepson or someone like that is being looked at or or can come into the team ahead of the World Cup next year? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've, you know, cut, chopped and changed this team a lot. I, I was a bit surprised that Adam Zampa didn't get taken to England, to be honest. I mean, he has been a part of the team for the last two years. Um, perhaps his performances last summer had sort of middled out a little bit, but he also wasn't being backed in every match. He was sort of, you know, only playing when the conditions suited. So I think overall Zampa has shown enough in his career that he can he can sort of get things done. Um, He's like that quick, skiddy leg spinner that, you know, if you're trying to score against, can be difficult. Mm, yeah, but, I mean, look, it's a tough one. I mean, they... They, they sort of still seem to be umming and ahhing about Nathan Lyon, even though he was in the squad. Um, I was in Canada at the time, but how many games did Lyon play in the series? Well, I think he played one or two in England. Mm. So Yeah, so, you know, they've got to make up their mind. I mean, clearly Agar is the one they want. And, and Agar, as an all-rounder, has, you know, shown himself to be more than capable. But whether or not he is the best spinner 
to, you know, that remains to be seen. And you just look at other international teams, the really dominant ones at white ball cricket all have that leggy or that really destructive spinner that they can call on mm. in the middle overs. But that's, that's the difference. They're aggressive spinners, whereas we've kind of picked, it's going back to Xavier Doherty type times. The X-Man. Yeah, but we've, we've, picked spinners who, we've picked spinners who are defensive, who we want to soak up overs and try and keep the runs tight. They're not aggressive spinners. They're not wicket takers. The best, the best spinners and the best kind of T20 short form spinners are the ones who can take wickets, are aggressive, and who attack. And we don't have like Joe. A, what about Farwood Ahmed? Could be. He's got a good T20 record. Yeah, I agree. Um, he's he's the most similar in 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 uh, style to to the ones who have made have been particularly effective at that level uh, mm. internationally. Yeah, I mean, I, I know there's doubts about um, Farwood stepping up when it gets to international level, but yeah, I mean, he. He does play as a sort of classic leg spinner, doesn't he? Yeah, tries yeah. to take wickets. The, the concern might be just age, but I, I suppose, you know, T20 World Cup's not too far away. Well, we've had, we've had Watto right? and Hodge and all these, and Hogg, all these blokes play the last couple of years, so he's in good company. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> yeah I agree. He's Look, as good as anybody. He's and, and he's done well for the Sydney Thunder. All right, so that was the wrap of the T20 series. Congratulations, Pakistan. They won the title and they are the number one T20 side in the world. All right, let's move on now to the week in cricket headlines brought to you by Sydney's The Daily Telegraph, the place for all your cricket news. Most of it brought to you by Ben Horn, dailytelegraph.com.au slash cricket. So let's start with the first headline. 35-year-old Sean Marsh is having scans on his shoulder after uh, an incident in a county game. So I guess this is something you raised at the beginning of the summer when Marsh was recalled, Ben, that his fitness is an issue. And, you know, right now we need his experience when Australia goes to Pakistan and beyond for that matter. Mm. So this is a, a worry because he's had shoulder injuries in the past. Or is that his brother? Yeah, he, he actually got through the summer really well, didn't he? Mm. There was no sign of any. Well, there was in the first test and then he got through that and played the rest of the summer. But yeah, I think you're right. I think Sean Marsh does have to stay in the side for the next 12 months because they've lost so much experience. And, you know, you look at his record, he, he's as consistent as anyone else that, that, that's that been in the side after Smith and Warner. So, yeah, you know, I think that in ordinary circumstances, they probably would have been looking to maybe make a move on him and, um, and, and get a young player in, but they can't really do that now. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure what the nature of the the seriousness of the injury is but you know I think with him you know they've probably got to prioritize test cricket for him I know he was in that one day side in England and he made a he made a big hundred but you know I think given his age and his injury record perhaps they need to target exactly what cricket he plays to, to manage him as well as they can all right the next headline this is brought about by a story by Ben Horn and this is what he has written Cricket Australia might not have completely blanked out the prospect of softening the element of the penalties, which has the duo banned from all domestic cricket for the full 12 months, obviously referring there to Smith and Warner. Cricket Australia emphatically deny this is up for debate, but it's understood some board members have privately expressed fear that they might have gone too hard on the finer points of the landmark sanctions. So is there any chance you think this could be sort of softened and we see Smith and Warner playing, say, the second half of the Shield season, which would be late February onwards, just you know six weeks before the ban would be up? I really don't know what the chances are, but 
All I know is that it has been. I won't lock you in on it. Yeah, got to be slim. No, pure speculation at this point. No, I mean, all I know is from what I've been hearing that it has been spoken about, and you know, there's been people that have had second thoughts, and I think it's sort of been canvassed around the place. But um, you know, Cricket Australia is, as I say in the story, they emphatically denied, and they in fact came out after that story and denied it again on the record. So I mean, for them to now go back on that denial would be. quite significant but you know i mean all i said in that story was that it's that it's been going around and people have been talking about it and i know that's um, that's true but uh, whether or not it will change based on their response to it you would have to think not but we'll wait and see i think the public um the public would be receptive to it the groundswell of support for these two guys and you hear you see a lot on social media of people saying no no okay now They've they've been punished. We'd be happy to see them back playing cricket now, and that was during the England series, possibly because Australia was getting tailed up. But certainly, I think the the public would support it. But based on the strength of the denial from Cricket Australia, I, I can't see them coming back and and, uh, and overturning any part of that decision. Yeah, look, I mean, there's a couple of things that I think means that they have had to consider it, and and it makes sense that they have considered it. One is. The practicality, I suppose, of having the players banned for 12 months and then the, there's a World Cup and an Ashes, but when they return, they will have played no cricket before then. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I guess you would, on one level you admire the severity of the, the ban, but, I mean, they're almost sort of... The, the, the ban works against the team when, when they are available again because they won't have played any, any cricket. That's one side of it. The other side is, um, you know, I think a lot of people feel that these two players in particular and also Bancroft could, you know, enrich in uh, shield cricket much more than they can club cricket. Uh, that's the standard of the game that they could have the most impact on and, and improve the overall standard of the competition. I realise that two of them are playing for the one team, but, you know, what can they achieve out playing club a few games of club cricket as opposed to, you know, working with the immediate next level in in the shield in the shield level, I mean, I think there was concerns about the, when the penalties were handed down. There was concerns about players earning money during the ban, which I guess makes sense. But then we find out that Cameron Bancroft is earning money anyway through you know the fact that he's got a multi year deal. So that sort of seems a bit redundant now. So look, I personally, I think that that they should be allowed to play some shield cricket. I just think that that. You know that they they can do more for the game doing that than they can playing. Do, club do you cricket. feel in hindsight that Cricket Australia were too easily swayed by public opinion at the time of the outrage? This is for both of you, and that they might have pandered too much to the outrage rather than sort of taking a broader view of what happened. Um, and you look at what happened with the Sri Lankan captain who was you know caught ball tampering only a month ago, and and the penalties for him within for the ICC and his own board have been nowhere near what we have seen occur in Australia. So you have a bit of distance from the incident. You know, it looks like Cricket Australia just sort of pandered to the public opinion and, you know, what the talk shows were saying rather than really thinking this through. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I, I think I don't disagree with the 12-month international ban. I mean, you know, you look at the, the severity, like, sorry, the, the magnitude of the of the outcry and everything. I mean, they were basically damned either way, I suppose. I mean, if they'd if they'd only banned them for three months, people would have been um, would have been furious. So it was a tough. But that's what I'm tough saying. Situation should should that be win. the way they gauge the success of their penalty on what public opinion does? I mean, they've said we'll make Steve Smith captain. We'll see what the 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 sway of public opinion is. Whether Steve Smith can be captain again. I mean, 
is Cricket Australia just now going to make their decisions based on what the sort of public groundswell is? But I might be jumping ahead in one of your points here, but it seems Don't like the, it. the ICC has potentially uh, come out and, and supported Australia's decision by changing some of the ball tampering laws themselves, which doesn't that in some ways... Yeah, so what, it would be six tests yeah. or 10 one days or whatever it is. Uh, it's still not a year. It's not a year. The other important point is that they haven't been banned for 12 months for ball tampering. They've been banned for bringing the game into mm. disrepute. So I think at no point have um, yeah have Cricket Australia said, oh, it's, it's for the actual incident of ball tampering. Well, whether but, it's bring the game into disrepute or not. And, yes. and that's a very subjective kind of... Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're thing right. Anyway, and so. yeah, exactly. And it all obviously comes back to the ball tampering. I just thing think itself. it's a very slippery slope if you start to base all your decisions about, you know, what people are telling you from the public opinion, and rather whether than, you're going to lose sponsors I mean, and whether you're going to my, lose. My main opinion was at the time, and it still stands, is that I, I didn't necessarily have a problem with the twelve months if it was balanced out with other levels of the organisation. And at this stage, we haven't seen that. I mean. Has you know Darren Lehman resigned, but has anyone else in Cricket Australia taken any responsibility for well, the cultural no. issues and and all those things? That's it's the imbalance I think that is the problem. Like they, these players have have copped twelve months, and at this stage, they're you know if they're talking about disrepute, then you know um, it's and, and it's not all about the ball tampering itself. Then I don't think it's. The, the ledger has necessarily been squared in other levels of the organisation. And, you know, I've, I've done some chats with people about the review and about the input they've had. I you know, spoke to Hazelwood and then I spoke, spoke to Shane Watson recently. And there is an inference that the responsibility does go up the chain for what happened. And, you know, having the, the pillar of, you know, being number one in all forms is one of the Cricket Australia's guiding principles might actually be misguided. Hmm. Well, I mean, they're obviously having a review at the moment. We'll see what comes of that. But I understand the need for a review, but I don't think enough people were taking, um, you know, accountability at the time either. You know, there's still certain, yeah, people that we're really yet to hear from. And, um, you know, it's sort of... Howard. There's been a lot of distance now put... Between performance it, manager and people, people have yeah, moved on. So it's sort of it, it'll be, it, let's let's give the review a chance, I suppose. But yeah, it just seems at this stage that perhaps the the, the balance is a bit off. Yeah, and Watto seemed to indicate that some of the things he saw towards the end of his career in the Aussie team were sort of things that led up to this cultural crisis of Australian cricket. All right, well, let's take a quick break and then we'll be back to finish the headlines. Before we take a break, I want to remind you all, if you can please leave a review for the podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on, and I'll be reading the reviews out over the next few weeks. Uh, You can download and listen to the show on the Apple Podcasts app, the Google Podcasts app. We're now on Spotify. We're on all the podcast apps. So plenty of ways to listen to the show. Please tell all your cricket-loving friends about the podcast. It's going to be going all throughout the summer coming up. If you want to find the podcast and you just want to share an easy link, my website, andrewmensel.com, has all the links to the podcast there. All right, quick break, and then we'll be back with the rest of the cricket headlines. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel. I'm here with Ben Horn and Joe Barton. Uh, So, Ben, you are over in Canada for the Global T20 League. So far, David Warner's had a, a pretty rough start. Five innings, 12 runs. Steve Smith scored two fifties. Uh, Peter Siddle and Moses Enriquez have been doing 
pretty well. But give us an idea of what that tournament was like behind the scenes. A bit like a sort of local carnival. <laughs> Schoolboy tournament. Of, yeah, it was sort of, you know, like, and, in a, and I mean this in a nice way, but yeah, it was like a pretty modest tournament with some huge names playing in it. So it was very unusual. The standard of the field is like nothing that um, Steve Smith and Dave Warner would have experienced since they were about 12 years of age. And yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, but yeah, like I, I think people were saying on Twitter from what I could see that it was it, it lacked a bit of thrust on TV. I, I was obviously there at the game, but there was actually some decent periods of cricket that I saw, um, but also some, some pretty average average stretches as well. Do you reckon it's a good place for them to have um, made the comeback away from the spot, like the harsh spotlight if, if they'd... If they'd come back playing in, say, the Big Bash, it would have been unavoidable. Is, this, mm. is it nice to be a kind of out of sight, out of mind? I'd say bit? it's worked well for them, definitely, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it has been a fairly low-key way of, of, of... Even if the cricket itself isn't isn't exactly like what, they, yeah. what they're used to or what they well, want. Well, I mean, I don't know how much they can actually achieve from playing that you know these kind of tournaments over the next few months in the sense that everyone knows what Steve Smith and Dave Warner can do on the field like I don't think people are going to need to see how well they go in the Caribbean or mm. the UAE to to make their decision about whether they come back into the team but you know I think it's it's probably good for their own sanity to be playing a bit of cricket and um just getting back to what they uh, what they like doing I guess as well to make the Australian public sort of get comfortable with seeing them playing again and just get that initial hump over with. And even Steve Smith's first press conference, you know, back in in the international cricket fold, there was a lot of speculation about that. And you were there, Ben. What was he like? Yeah, what, what was what was Smith like? He was pretty nervous, I think, before he spoke. Um, and, and he said before he played as well. So, yeah, I think there would have been a pretty big build-up for both of them in their own heads at least that this was uh this was the first venture back so yeah steve smith i thought was was nervous when he spoke but seemed very relieved i think to to get that out of the way and especially making a score as he did i think he felt like a bit of a weight had been removed and there was yeah a bit of a bit of freedom there that he probably hasn't experienced for a while did you talk to him one-on-one or was he kept a bit of distance um no it didn't yeah really pan out like that um i mean yeah sort of I guess there was only a few of us there, so it was a pretty intimate setting. But he did a press conference and um, and answered the, the questions that he was asked well. So I, th- I thought he actually spoke well. I mean, we were, we were sort of limited to one question each, the, the Australian contingent that was there. So um, how did you come – what was your question? <laughs> I can't remember. I don't think it was very good. But, uh, yeah, like I, I think, you know, he, he answered he, – he spoke well and um, um, I guess we'll – hear more from him as it as the period goes along and what do you think about what he said about his sort of mental fatigue state leading up to that incident in south africa because you know you've covered him closer than me and joe mm. i mean what do you think of that is, is it just an excuse or um i don't think he was trying to use it as an excuse and i don't think it is one but i i guess um it's part of his reflection on what happened i mean he's ref- he's looked back at what happened and he feels that that was, you know, that that had clouded his judgment and that had sort of taken its toll on him and, and Dave Warner mentioned a similar thing. So, yeah, I don't think it's an excuse, but I don't think they're looking for one either. I think, um, you know, it was more him trying to talk through a bit more detail about, you know, perhaps some of the things that led up to, to what happened. Yeah, Just, just yeah. painting a picture for how intense that, that mm. series was and and how much pressure they were under, and pretty much an admission that they cracked underneath that pressure, I suppose, in some ways. Mm, yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you, Ben, for taking us inside the global T20 league in Canada. I was interested in Siddle and Keswick Williams yesterday getting a bit of a scuffle. So uh, I think Siddle plays for the Montreal Tigers. I'm a Vancouver Knights man, by the way. But um, he was bowling for the Tigers. The opposition needed four off the last ball to win. The the Keswick Williams smashed it past Siddle for four, so they won the game. And I think there were some words exchanged. And there, again, they wouldn't shake hands. Darren Sammy had to come in. So, obviously, they're taking it seriously enough. So, um, could be an exciting finish. And I think it finishes like the IPL where they have double eliminators and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a few games still to come. And um, I think, yeah, just to finish off on that, you know, I think it was a worthwhile place to try and, get a league started. I mean, there's people that disagree with all these leagues popping up, but, you know, there is a very large um, population of, you know, Pakistani and Indian immigrants living in Toronto and walking around the street, no joke, there was like a lot of people who were who knew about cricket and were, were genuinely interested in it. One problem is the facilities, like the ground is an hour to an hour and a half out of town. And I think that makes it very difficult. The, the crowds were low. So getting the bumps on seats is, is an issue. But, you know, in terms of a market for cricket, there is one. So I think, you know, I think there is some, there's merit in trying to well to, to build that up. Excellent. All right. Now, the next headline is that the ICC have made a change that they agree that broadcasters should be able to use stump microphone audio at any time, including when the ball is dead, and players can now be booked for attempting to gain an unfair advantage by cheating, personal abuse, audible obscenities, and disobeying an umpire's instructions. Now, one of my dreams has been the stump mic's been up all the time and an adults-only feed, but it seems like they're, they're going to have them up, but the players are going to watch their language. Now, Nathan Lyons spoke on the Unlistenable podcast, and he said when you're competing at the highest level and under extreme amounts of pressure, sometimes you miss your skill and therefore an expletive may come out. So he's not the biggest fan of stump mics going up because we're role models. What do you think about this change, gentlemen? I'll start with you, Bardo. Well, look, I, not I headbutt me, are you? <laughs> no, of course not. I, I, I absolutely understand where um, where Nathan Lyon's coming from, and occasionally a swear word can slip out. And in, if that happens, as we hear on when during Wimbledon coverage or any other high profile sports, the English in particular are very quick to just just apologise and say sorry you heard that. Like all players across all sports now are really quite aware. That the, that the microphones are up and Nick Kyrgios knows what he's when, he, when he's swearing that it's going to be broadcast acro- across the world. I think that's part of why he does it, but the BBC will apologise. I think the Australian cricketers and cricketers across the world will learn to... They'll, they'll quickly learn that every swear word they say or everything they say near the mics will be broadcast into the homes of thousands. And if that happens, I reckon they'll... Uh, They'll be slower to uh, go to swear words as their as their main way of expressing frustration, and, I, and I'm a big fan of having that uh, that insight into what's going on in the game of cricket. Subtle sledging if they're just ch- chatting away, I think that's good. It's good good fun, even if it's um, even if it can seem mind nasty. Games. Yeah, it's mind games. But if it removes the the particularly nasty sledging, the personal sledging, which is what I think nobody particularly enjoys or wants to see in the game, then I think it's a good thing. Bring the mics up. Nathan, I'm sure you'll work out how to stop swearing. I like the idea of the, the mics being up. I think it adds to the experience for the viewer. You know, I'm not that keen on the punishments being that severe, to be honest. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that it, it is natural for, you know, a player in frustration to perhaps drop 
drop one and um you know i think it's yeah there's a bit of responsibility that falls on the tv networks to be kind of monitoring that a little bit and protect people's ears but yeah i mean i agree i think you you want to cut out that nasty sledging but i, I mean I'm, I'm a fan of it simply because i think it adds to the kind of yeah the, the experience for the viewer yeah adds to the richness and there's you know when we've toured in other countries the the stunt mics left up more and hear a bit of that chatter and it does add to the viewing but i think look times have clearly changed and i think from what nathan lyon's saying cricket is have to move with the times in a sense that they're getting paid more and they're getting paid more because the coverage of the game is more. So with that is going to come these changes where, okay, you might have said a swear word in frustration before. Well, like when you've got kids around, you're going to have to try and change the way you think about it and change standards within the team about what's acceptable on the field. And we might have like players go sugar when you know they miss a miss a ball or miss a catch or something but that's fine like I think now we've really got to embrace that sort of invasive coverage and just accept that it won't be the same as before that you won't be able to get away with it and we had last year was it Rabada or Stokes one of them just yelled out the f word when he got someone out and he got fined for that well, I'm sorry, but that's probably right like you shouldn't just yell out would you go into a room and just yell out the f word for no reason no, let, let all your curse words out at fine leg or long on. <laughs> or, or not at all. All right, so yeah. that's the big rule in the change. I'm looking forward to seeing how we can – well, listening to the, the players talking next summer. All right, we are going to end this podcast, and I'm going to bump the commentary critique segment this week. We'll, we'll do that next one. But I, I want to end with an issue that – it's a complicated one, so it's a curly one to end that – uh, Sydney Sixers and South African players Dane Van Niekerk and fast bowling all-rounder Marizana Cap got married to each other on the weekend. So congratulations to them. They're, they be, have become the second set of current international teammates to get married after New Zealand's Amy Satterthwaite and Leah Tahahu last year. This is great news. And I just wonder what it sort of means to sort of human resources within cricket teams now where teammates could get married. Well, okay, I'll put the, what, what if two Australian male players decided to get married? Um, I think so Hanscom and Maxwell, two Victorians. Like this is just a hypothetical. It would be Finch and Maxwell, wouldn't it? They're, they're pretty tight. Finch just got married, so <laughs> polygamy is not legal yet. I mean, what, what questions does this pose? <laughs> um, think, well, for example, I, for- I know two players within the Australian team, the women's team, were in a, in a relationship. Now, what is the implication of that for human resources? You're travelling together, you're working together. You, you know, these are things we've got to talk about. I think you're more, it's more likely to happen in the women's team than the men's team. For starters, they have several openly gay players, whereas the, as far as I know, there's no openly gay Why are you male looking at Well, he, <laughs> he, he, might have some he would know the inside information if, <laughs> if there was some. But as far as I know, there's no openly gay male cricketers in the country um, at any professional level. So I think, we'd, uh, I think we've got a few steps to go before HR is going to have to worry about any male, uh, male or male marriage uh, in the Australian cricket team. But realistically, I mean, there's, there's very strong friendships, people who are up who get upset when their teammates get dropped and that sort of thing. So I don't know whether what what the HR issues really would would be. Yeah. Uh, they got to sort team. out the domestic arguments. I don't. Yeah. No, no, I don't mean there's an HR problem. I just think like if you're in a relationship with someone you work with, hmm. that's complicated. Times it by ten when you might open the batting together or play together for your country. 
I mean, I'm all for it. I'm just wondering how we're going to negotiate this minefield, which we haven't done so well in this podcast. <laughs> I, I don't think it's really that big a big an issue that they need to overcome. I think they, they pick the best players and uh, and, and go from there. I, yeah, I've, I've never really given it any thought. What about the Australian public, though? Is the Australian public ready two... for two Australian male players to get married? Because it could happen. Well... I mean, like, hopefully in time. Um, Raising more questions than answers so far. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to uh, say the Australian public would uh, embrace it if both players were good cricketers. Yeah. That's all, that's all we want at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's what we hope for, for male sport, that that kind of, you know, that players do feel comfortable to. Um, inclusive mentality. But unfortunately, over history would say that, uh, you know, NRL and AFL and these sports almost, yeah, it's difficult for for players to um, yeah, to possibly feel comfortable in that environment. Well, hopefully it's changing, and I think great story. Congratulations, Dane Van Nakuk and Marizana Cap. And I think it's the beginning of a new world. It's the frontier, and, and we have to be ready to embrace that change. And I think it's a great story. I think um, this is what, you know, women's cricket and men's cricket is going to be about, inclusivity and acceptance and overcoming prejudices. And, you know, I think these are all the start. And it's not just within our country, but around the world where social norms are different. This is a great way of um, opening eyes up. Agree entirely. All right. Well, let's leave it there. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the podcast after your jet-setting global trip. I've got some good news for you that the cricket season is about eight weeks away. JLT Cup, eight weeks, so... Not long until you're back on the cricket band. Oh, I can't wait, mate. Cannot wait. Uh, Joe, thank you for coming on the show. Enjoy the rest of the World Cup. Hopefully when we get together next time, we're not celebrating an English win in the uh, World Cup. Mate, we, we, we will be. Uh, Harry Kane, three goals in the final. Go Spurs. All right, listeners, thank you so much for downloading Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. As I said, the season is fast approaching, taking next week off the podcast, so we'll be back in two weeks. There are lots of Australian players in England playing in the T20 Blast, so keep an eye on that one. The Canadian Global T20 League is coming to its conclusion, so lots of stuff to watch. We'll be back in two weeks with another podcast. I've been your host, Andrew Mensal. You can find me on Twitter, at Amenas, and we'll be back in two weeks.